I welcome you back to our series through Sermon on the Mount. And uh, tonight we'll be looking at the Beatitudes again. And uh, Beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's uh, first seek the Lord. Our Father, we thank you again for bringing us here. We ask you, Lord, to bow down, to hear us, Lord, for we are poor and needy, and you are our God. Be merciful to us, Lord, for we cry to you all the day long. For you, Lord, to you we lift up our soul. And you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. So we pray, Father, that you would call, that you would forgive our sins of this day, Lord, and this week, that we may hear your word, that we may receive your word into our hearts. For you are great and do wondrous things, and you alone are God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, just read up to our text today in chapter 5 of Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, starting at verse 3. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are all those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So for anyone who is watching or haven't been here uh, through the series, uh, we are looking at Sermon on the Mount, which contains, uh, is contained in chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And Jesus is preaching on the mount, And he starts with these Beatitudes, and he makes these pronouncements upon his disciples, mostly, though I think he's preaching to the crowd, especially later. He specifically is pronouncing these blessings on Christians. These are marks of those that have had a work of grace in their hearts, and it's only by the work of grace that we can have these things operating in our lives. This is important to see because many will take this sermon out of the context of that and use it as a list of morality, which it isn't. And it's interesting that the whole sermon has some very strong things in it. But he starts out with very encouraging blessings, pronouncements. And it's like as if he's, he's getting ready He's getting his disciples' hearts ready and encouraging them 
before the more maybe daunting things in the sermon. And so it is with us. If you're a Christian, you recognize these things in your heart, in your life, then you're blessed. And you have these promises that precede these, these blessings of poor in spirit, those who mourn, those that are meek. And these are the promises of God, so you can count on them. And they also point to eternity. A lot of our comfort comes from our promise of an eternal salvation, an eternity with God, a eternity of blessedness. So we keep that in mind as we proceed through these Beatitudes especially. And tonight we come to blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And those that have been here know that we've already started on this. Um, So I'll just do a a quick review and mostly uh, the, the definition. Recall our definition from Hugh Knox. Mercy is a kind, compassionate, sympathizing concern for the miserable, which prompts to a readiness to help relieve or at least alleviate their miseries. When it is in our power, or when it is in the power of the merciful and fit and right to be done. And he adds this, as there could have been no place for the exercise of the divine mercy unless mercy had made its entrance, or misery had made its entrance among creatures. So nor could there have been place for exercise of mercy between man and man if mankind were not miserable. So it's important for us as Christians to recognize the misery of others. And we've gone through that. Uh, Yes, we can see the miseries, uh, the afflictions that we go through as the children of God, but important to also know the miseries of the unsaved, the lost, to recognize what those are from the Word of God and to contemplate those, to give us a compassion for the lost. And I don't think anybody here can say they have the compassion they would want, the, the degree of compassion they would want for the lost. I know I don't. And I, I have constantly sought to have more compassion for the lost throughout my Christian life. And I think this is a sign that every Christian has in their heart. Even if they don't know that compassion in the fullest extent, even though they don't witness as much as they would want to, there's a hunger and thirst for that compassion for the lost. Because intellectually, at least, they know the state of the lost, what that will be in eternal damnation. But to realize that in our hearts, our minds, is something else. And we need to take a hold of that through the contemplation, the meditation um, of the scriptures concerning the lost. So, another um, definition of this mercy that Jesus talks about here is it's a love and kindness that originates from the heart towards those in need and those who have wronged us. Here's an important element that I think the other definition doesn't have. Towards those who, who are in need, but also those who have wronged us. This is an important aspect of mercy. It's a heart eager to forgive others who have failed us or sinned against us. Now, I would like to spend more time in that because it's an important aspect of mercy, but I'm not going to at this time because it will be dealt with further in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he, he deals very strongly with that, as we will see later. 
Um, and if you'll remember, those who were here, uh, according to William Barclay, the original word for mercy in the Bible meant to the, the ability to get right inside another person's skin until we can see things with his eyes, think things with his mind, and feel things with his feelings. And to do this, again, is, it's an effort that takes place on our part to do that. Um, and I think a lot of times we think it's just natural. It's just, just kind of come natural to us, this compassion and this mercy. But it doesn't always operate that way. Um, I think this is helpful, though, to try to uh, empathize, sympathize with a person in misery, uh, going through afflictions, um, but to put ourselves actually in, in their skin is, is, is a good way to look at it. Um, and I think we would avoid a lot of mercilessness if we did that with others. Harshness towards others, judgmental attitudes, criticisms, if we put ourselves in their skin. But again, it's, it's a, a, not just a sympathy, but it goes farther. It's love in action. It's active, and that's an important aspect. Um, we stop at compassion a lot. We looked at God's mercy. In knowing, recognizing what mercy truly is, we need to, to, to look to God. And especially, we can see it in Jesus Christ, in his earthly ministry. But also, um, as we look at God, I would like to look at Psalm 103 briefly, and you don't have to turn to these texts because I'm probably going to go through them rather fast. Uh, you, you may if you want, but um, I'm quoting from Psalm 103, verses 8 to 17. And we can also glean some, um, some characteristics of this meekness from this psalm. But mostly, I bring it up to show God's mercy again. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. There, a characteristic that we can reflect in mercy towards others. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Now, how do we treat others? Are we quick to want to punish them or want God to punish them? Quickly, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards, the, towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. When you look at your brother and sister around you, do you remember that, their frame? those that have wronged you, those who insult you, those who might not say hello to you at the right moment, uh, those who even fall into sin. Do you remember their frame? As God does, remember that they're just dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and his place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. God's mercy never ends. So how does this mercy take effect in our lives? To see this uh, further, well, I was going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 
but I believe Pastor uh, thoroughly covered that this morning. So I'd like to further look at that in 2 Corinthians in chapter 7. In chapter 7, I'll not read the whole context. It probably would be helpful if you did read the whole context later. You can see the background of Paul's dealing with the Corinthians, and some of you know that dealing in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, he got pretty strong with their sin. Here's a church that's really out of order. Uh, they're, they're calling things love that really isn't love. But in 2 Corinthians, he, he comes in a softer tone a lot of ways. In verse 4 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. Now, I don't think that's chapter 1. I think it's chapter 4. That may be a mistake, but um, chapter 7. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. So here's some, some misery here. Here's some, some afflictions that he describes. And uh, Pastor described some of those afflictions this morning. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So first we see God, who comforts the downcast. He recognized God's mercy first. God, who comforts the downcast. I think we all can say we've been downcast, but there's some that are more downcast than others, and some that are continually going through that suffering. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So God comforted by means. What means did he comfort him by? By the coming of a person, by a coming of a fellow brother, Titus. By the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. So there's almost a chain reaction, you might say, of, of comfort. Titus was comforted, then he brings that comfort to Paul. Not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. He goes on to say, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, now that was 1 Corinthians mostly, you know the strength of that letter again, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, was he con contradicting himself? No, he, he says, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. See the, see the, the, the difference there. And I pointed out the last sermon that I don't believe by the scriptures God is pleased with our afflictions. He uses those, those afflictions. They're important in our life. He sends afflictions, but it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. It's not just arbitrary, like he rejoices over our afflictions. So here you see that reflected in this, in Paul's attitude. Now rejoice not in that you were made sorry, but 
What did the sorrow do? But that your sorrow led to repentance. So, so there's the good that it led to. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So that's the sense that it's not regretted. It, it, it did good. It did its purpose. And God sends trials and afflictions to our life to do good. So remember that when you're in the afflictions yourself, but also remember that when you're ministering to others. <clears throat> I was going to uh, read Psalm 109, but I'm not going to read all of that. But some pretty scathing remarks um, to those that don't have mercy. Uh, David, the psalmist, is talking about or, or pleading with God about those that are persecuting him, but, but are saying lies, defaming things, uh, stories about him, um, just a lot of unmerciful things. And it's mostly of the tongue that they're doing that. But at the end, he's, he says something about <clears throat> that God shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his soul. So that's a part of mercy in our part. Will we stand with God at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his soul? When you hear criticism towards others, do you defend them? That's a part of mercy too. It's not just the negative, it's the positive. Defense of those that aren't there to defend themselves, but those that have no capacity to defend themselves in whatever reason that is. <clears throat> so I... I sat down and thought of a while um, how mercy takes effect in our lives and uh, how it's manifested. And I made this, this list up. Again, I'm not going to read all these because I think it would take a lot of time. Um, if you want to hear some more of those, you can come to me afterwards. I could, I could extend this list, which, which I'm sure many of you could too. But I'll just pick out some things about mercy and the characteristics of that. Mercy puts the best construction on people's words and actions. Definitely not the worst construction. How many times do we do that? We can tend to put the worst construction even before we think of, well, maybe it was this, maybe it was that, on a good, good construction. And it's good to practice that, again, when you're defending someone else, when somebody's gossiping about someone else, when somebody's criticizing another person, um, even if it's an unbeliever. I, I've especially exercised this with unbelievers at work. Um, I've exercised, tried to exercise this even with a church split, when there was two parties and both were wrong. One party you go to, well, have you considered they might have been thinking this, they might have done this? Or, and then go to the other party. Have you considered maybe they were doing this or maybe doing this? Which were, which were putting a, I was trying to put a right construction on the other party's actions and words. Um, very few times do we know the whole story. That's the thing. But to be a merciful man, to be a merciful woman, we need to put the best construction we can on, on things. Not to be blind, not to... Not to um, not judge at all circumstances, we need to do that. But um, also, not just to, to tend to put the, the worst construction 
on people's actions or words, especially when it's against us. Another one, mercy doesn't jump to negative conclusions. It considers all the surrounding circumstances and evidence. That's closely related to the, to the other one. Um, it considers the persons involved, the person involved. Okay, you know, th- think of the person involved in the whole scenario. Um, do they have health problems, for instance? Could they have done this because, could they have said something because they were on, a, uh, on medication for their health? That's happened to me. Um, I used to take a, a certain medication for headaches. And I noticed at the end of the day, I was explosive. Boom. Anything could, could set me off. So I had to be really careful. But at the same time, my wife came to understand this happened. So she would, she would ask me while you're on that medication, well, maybe I shouldn't bring this up. So, so that, was, <laughs> that was like, um, but there was a recognition. There was um, um, a circumstance there that, that made, made me more touchy. I'm, I'm just saying, okay, it didn't excuse my, my, um, my sin, but there's something considered in the other party in, in, in putting blame Mercy is slow to speak, slow to judge, slow to criticize. Slow to criticize. That's a big thing right there in, in that sentence. Mercy will be slow to criticize another. Mercy makes sacrifices in time, in money, in possessions, in self-desires. You'll have to set aside your own desire sometimes to, to put feet on mercy. Mercy reaches down, it reaches low, but not in prideful condescension. We can do that, like condescending way, we'll talk to somebody, whatever. But mercy will reach down, it reaches low. Mercy considers, thinks, and plans. To have mercy, again, we need to consider people's situation, we need to think who needs mercy. And it plans. How can I best serve this person? How can I minister to them? Mercy prays. It blesses. Jesus talks about blessing your enemies when they curse you. Mercy suffers long, is patient, and is kind. Is that familiar? It's part of, part of love. So you can go right down that list of love and, and, and put mercy in there. Mercy covers a multitude of sins. Mercy forgives. Mercy always has an eye to the cross. It has an eye to the cross both for that person that we're ministering to, but also to ourselves to remember the cross and why we are saved. Mercy considers the present and future state of a man's soul. It considers its his present miseries and burdens, but also his future miseries. And we spoke of that, those eternal, eternal ramifications. <clears throat> um, and I was thinking about, about this lately, too, in, in connection with myself, um, in just the area of preaching. And I thought of in preaching, too. So when I say ministry, it's, are you in a teaching ministry? Are you in any kind of ministry? If you're called to the ministry in the church of Jesus Christ, you're called to a ministry of mercy, of mercy and truth. 
You'll see throughout Scripture, those are tied together very, very many times. Mercy and truth. Remember to couple those two together. Truth without mercy can be an ugly thing. And it should be in our teaching, in our preaching, in our actions. And it should be in a minister's heart, most importantly. Your, your counsel, your teaching, your sermons should bleed with mercy. And not just to those that you're preaching to or teaching. And that's where I think we can get off sometimes. We will become critical of others outside the church in an unmerciful way. There's a place for, for again, mercy and truth to warn against error. But we need to have a, a merciful heart when we do that publicly. We need to think about the miseries of deception that those people are in. Uh, I think sometimes of where I came out of. But did I just come out of that on my own accord? No, God brought me out of it. Brought, God brought me out of error. That was in his mercy. So when I look back, when I think of those people, I should think of them in a merciful way and pray for them. That leads me to pray for them. It leads me to minister to them when I can. And that goes for other churches. Maybe they're not even in error. Maybe they just do something different. We need to be careful. We need to be merciful. That's where it comes from the heart. It'll, if you got the heart of mercy, it'll come automatically. So just, just be careful in that. <clears throat> Now, there is a mercy outside the church that we should be careful not to condemn. And I mean outside the church, I mean the lost. Um, it can be commendable in a humanitarian way. You see an example of this in Acts 28 uh, when Paul was shipwrecked and he went, uh, they crashed on the island of Malta. He said, the, nat um, the natives showed us an unusual kindness, for they kindled the fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. So you see, he recognized their kindness and their mercy. He didn't just write them off and said, well, you know, even though they did this, they didn't do it to the glory of God. And, you know, like, yeah, that's true. And they'll be accountable to God someday for that. But I think we, we need to be we need to recognize mercy even in the lost. At the workplace, for instance, uh, it's commendable, but um, it's incomplete. It falls short of, of the mercy that, that Jesus is talking about here. Uh, a few years of misery alleviated by the actions of the, the lost uh, isn't comparable with eternity. So when we have mercy on others, there's that eternal aspect to it, too. There's, there's the soul we consider. And, yes, there is the, um, the whole aspect of doing it to the glory of God and doing it by the, the gifts of the Spirit. <clears throat> but we shouldn't always be scoffing at the kindness in the world. We should encourage that. And... On top of that, a lot of the mercy I see around me by the loss puts me to shame. So use it. If you see it, use it for yourself and ask yourself, would I do the same? Would I be that merciful? Do I even come close to, to having the mercy, at least in this world, 
than those people that those people do. And as Christians, and I should say as Calvinists, especially if you're a Calvinist, we should be the most merciful and humble people on earth. I'm not going to go into that, but it'd be good to preach a whole sermon on that. You recognize that all we have is by the grace of God. So that should make you a humble and merciful person. Now, some will not have the means or the opportunities that others may have to be able to manifest this grace as they would like. That's recognizable. But the scripture says, if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted of God according to that a man has, not according to that a man has not. So God considers that. But don't always be using that as an excuse. There's many ways to show mercy besides physically, besides supplying physical needs. Even if you're poor and you hardly have enough to to feed yourself, you can pray for people, and the way you think about people can be merciful. The way you talk to people can be merciful. The way and frequency of your witnessing is mercy. So that brings us now to the second part of our text. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What's he saying here? At first glance, blessed are the merciful, merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Is he teaching a different doctrine than the Apostle Paul? Does Paul say in Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by being a merciful person, we have peace with God? What if he did? What if that was the case? Would you make the grade? Would you ever come close in your life to that? And is this the standard that you hold up to others? Love your neighbor as yourself. So absolutely not. It's not a contradiction. For Paul clearly states, and this I want to bring out at the beginning, I am not saying this, that we are in any way justified by our merciful acts. Paul says clearly in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's best put in, in our confession on justification. Those whom God effectually calls, he also freely justifies. Not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone but by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and soul righteousness, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves. It is a gift of God. So, one question here, are you resting on his righteousness by faith? Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the death of debt, debt of all those that are justified and did by the sacrifice of himself in the blood of his cross, undergoing in their stead the penalty due unto them, make a proper and real and full satisfaction to God. So Christ has paid our penalty, our debt, which we could not pay in our stead, the penalty that was due our sins. 
and make a proper, real, full satisfaction to God on our behalf. Just justification only of free grace that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. So again, mercy and truth coupled together. God didn't compromise his justice or his holiness in our salvation, but mercy and truth met together at the cross. Not by works of righteousness in Titus. It says not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So, it's not saying that, that in any way we are justified by our acts of mercy. It's not saying, um, as we read it, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy by our acts of mercy. Um, and we also see this by the whole counsel of God. Um, if you see, you're wrestling with what a one verse says, you don't go against the whole counsel of God on justification. It's obvious. Um, also, the context, as we've been looking at the Beatitudes, these are characteristics of a Christian um, that are implanted in the Christian by grace, and grace alone. So, what does Jesus mean here? Well, I think there is a present and a future aspect to this, and First, I'll deal with what I consider a present aspect. It's a reciprocal mercy. We see this in the scriptures all through it. And I think some will balk at this because they know all is of grace, which it is. Um, And all is to the glory of God, which it is. But God, in his grace, has chosen to treat us in certain ways that magnify his mercy and his grace. In Psalm 18, verse 25, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. And that was David, and he knew about that firsthand. Jesus said, having done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. So this comes to our mind, certainly, and we question, okay, we're unprofitable servants. So how can there be any reward? How can there be, be any, anything for us in this, you know, like reciprocal mercy? But we do not um, in any way earn or merit God's eternal salvation. That's not what he's saying. It's all of his grace. But the way we live our lives does matter to God and does have ramifications. Again, you can see that in David's life. If you, if you follow David's life, uh, you, can, you can see this take place, both in his sin, even his forgiven sin. There were ramifications for that. Look at Absalom, his, his son, and what happened there, um, but also uh, the other way around. So when we look again at the Beatitudes, again, we see that they're all of grace. Uh, these characteristics flow out of a heart renewed by grace, but there's also after each a promise. In Matthew 7, in Sermon on the Mount, further on, when speaking of judging others, he says, Judge not that you not be judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. Reciprocal. It's both the negative and the positive. And with the measure you meet, it will be measured back to you. 
In Proverbs, it, it says a lot of this. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. God and man. Proverbs 11, the merciful man does good to his own soul. Proverbs 14, he that despises his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. So there's just a sense of happiness. Uh, I could go on and on in that. Um, in Second Samuel twenty-two twenty-six, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. There's also that divine law, you might say, in Galatians. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. In Psalm 41, we read, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. In 2 Timothy 1.16, there's an example um, of this in an in a interesting way. It reads from verse 15. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, Paul speaking here, among them are Phygelius and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus. You can say that good, but I, I can't because that's one of your favorites. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. So here he's pleading for mercy on this man because he refreshed him. He had mercy on him, and in turn, he prayed that God would have mercy, mercy on Anisiphorus. So that, there's also this aspect of the uh, future, an eternal aspect, that um, the merciful shall obtain mercy. And I'll briefly hit on this in Revelation 14, 13, the revelation of John. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, from now on, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So even though we're casting all our crowns before the throne, he says here, they rest from their labors and their works do follow them. There's a meaning to that. He doesn't have that revelation for, for no reason. This, this should be an encouragement to us. Don't be afraid to be encouraged by the, the encouragements of God in his word, rewards, are one. It's a, it's a great motive. It's, it's, it's not a selfish motive if we look at it in the right way. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So, as you've heard from this pulpit before, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And in that judgment, yes, we are justified by, by Jesus Christ. Absolutely. But there, there's a judgment of our works. And some will come off, 
come up somewhat short, even though they're, they're justified. Some will be saved as by fire. So there'll, there'll be a loss of rewards in eternity, but there's also a gain of rewards. Again, our um, confession, I think, explains this well. Um, we cannot by our best works merit pardon of sin or eternal life at the hand of God. And further on it says, yet notwithstanding the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him. Not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable or unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accomplished with many weaknesses and imperfections. So, though when we strive to do good works for others, when we try to extend mercy to others, we can be so conscious of our weaknesses in that, our our inability, um, our failings, and our imperfections. But God, God still takes that through Christ as a good work. Keep that in mind. Be encouraged. <clears throat> but that all being said. What is the bottom line here that Jesus is is pointing at? I I believe the main thrust of the text before us is this. The text again being, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The key to the the meaning of this is to again see who who the merciful are here in the context of the Beatitudes. They are those who have experienced the mercy of God in their own life those who have received mercy and truly realize the astounding wonder and beauty of it. And just turn the text around. It's an interesting way to look at it. Those who have obtained mercy are truly the merciful ones. But turning the text around, you see, well, that's the way to look at it. Blessed, um, those who obtain mercy are the merciful ones. If you look at it kind of backwards. So it's, the Christian that has experienced the mercy in his own heart by the grace of God. Again, um, we look at the Beatitudes. He's merciful towards others because he did and he still does need mercy. So it's a recognition that you did need mercy and you still need it every day of your life. When mercy flows into a person, it overflows to those around him. He's merciful to the miserable because he's seen his own misery. Again, the, the Beatitudes started with that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's, that's misery. He forgives because he constantly needs forgiveness. So perhaps now some are thinking throughout this, <clears throat> I really don't show much mercy to others. And I think it's possible that one of, one of two things can be the case. I say it, it's possible. There may be other reasons, but I, I bring these two possibilities up to consider. <clears throat> Number one, we only have a superficial understanding of God's mercy to us as a Christian and don't feel the constant need of it in our lives. So what should I do if this is the case? Well, I consider that for my case. 
I don't feel like I have the mercy that I should. What do I do? Well, if you start with prayer, and we have a great promise of mercy in, in, in the Bible. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there's the throne of grace where we obtain mercy, but we also obtain that grace to extend mercy to others. Remember. Remember what God has done for you. I'll get into that further as we look, look to a, a scripture. Think. Study. Study God's mercy. Study the gospel. And communion is a means of grace for this. Today we celebrate communion. It's time to remember. And we see over and over in scripture, remember, remember, remember. Remember God's mercy. Even at the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments, God brought remembrance of, of his mercy to these people. So communion is a time to remember. Remember what Christ has done for you, but remember what God has done in your, your life. Uh, I was having breakfast with my, my brother um, Barrett yesterday, and we started talking about our past and what God has brought us out of. Ugly past. Um, ugly sin. But we remembered to glorify God in his mercy. And it's good to do that once in a while. You're not glorifying, you know, not to glorify your past and your sin, but the glory in God, the glory in his mercy. And to impress this uh, facet of remembering and thinking and, and studying of God's mercy, um, I would like to turn to Ephesians in chapter 2. Again, if you have to think upon these things. You have to meditate upon them. And the best place to meditate and think is the scriptures. Chapter 2, you can uh, read it or you can, you can just listen. And this was brought out by, by Pastor John in his, in his teachings through Ephesians very well. And you who were dead in trespasses and sin. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You weren't just half dead, like the, the parable of the product or uh, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. Remember, he said, here, here lays this guy, he's half dead. You were dead completely. You're dead to God. You're blind. You were spiritually dead. You were judicially dead. You're condemned under the sin of Adam, but you're also spiritually dead. You had no communion, no, no contact with God. Your sins separated you from God. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. Or you might put it like another version says, like the rest of mankind, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserved wrath. Do you ever consider that? Do you ever think about your past? Do you ever, I was doing that yesterday when I was talking with, with my brother. And I was thinking, man, I was under the wrath of God back then. If I would have died doing that, I would have gone to hell. 
Don't confuse that with, you know, like election and all that. If you died in your sins, you would have gone to hell. It's, it's, an, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's a way to make your heart very thankful. When you think of the, not only the mercy of God, but his patience with you in your former life. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, because of his great love which he loved you, he loved you, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace have you been saved. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. Think about that. From dead to death to life. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness towards us, towards you. His kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves again, is a gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. And I think when we criticize others, we look down on others, we're walking about like, like there's something to boast in. Like, wow, I'm not as sinful as that person. Well, why? It's because of the grace of God. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, remember what you walked in before? Verse 2. We walked in our trespasses and sins, walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You were, in, you were a subject of Satan. You were a subject of the devil. He just kind of led you around. And you would have kept going, being led around in your self-deception, in your sins, and condemnation, and under the wrath of God. But now... God has saved us for good works, mercy, works of mercy, that we should walk in them. What a contrast. He goes on in verse 11, and I know this, this, the context of this is Jews and Gentiles, which John brought out beautifully. But the principle is still here. He says, therefore, remember, remember, there's that remember, Remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now you could look at that two ways. And sometimes I think about this. Boy, I thank God that I'm, I'm born in this age after the cross. It's beautiful. I mean, you have the New Testament. You have the revelation of Jesus Christ. Are we thankful for that? And that God went to the Gentiles. We're Gentiles. I don't know any Jews here, but God went to the Gentiles. So we kind of take that for granted. Oh, yeah, of course. That's what he should have done. No, he, he didn't have to. Therefore, remember. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. <clears throat> For he himself is our peace. So, <clears throat> so pray, think, meditate, remember, 
communion. And one more thing I'll add to that. Oh, no, there's two things. Visit. Visit the miserable and the suffering. One of the um, reasons for doing that is you're putting feet on your, your, your um, compassion. But when you go to the miserable and the suffering, you can, you can touch them, you can hear them. You know, you, you make contact. That does more than anything, I think, to create compassion in our hearts. So if you're lacking compassion, seek out. As Job said, he sought out the poor. Seek out those that are miserable. It doesn't just happen. Like, they don't just, you know, come to your doorstep. Well, I'm miserable. Seek them out. Go and minister in mercy to those. And you'll, you'll experience that promise that was promised in Proverbs. Happiness in that. A joy in that. There's a reward right there. <clears throat> and another one. Get afflicted. <laughs> get afflicted. I mean, I don't mean that seriously. Okay, just go out and get afflicted purposely. But you get the point. And it was brought out again this morning, and I don't think I, I need to expound on that. Um, one of the purposes of affliction, one of the great purposes of, of affliction is to equip us to have a more vigorous heart of mercy to others. So think about that. When you're in your misery, and God is... Preparing me to minister to somebody in like misery. I thought about that in the hospital, and it helped me a lot. It really did. <clears throat> and um, a second possible reason that you find so little mercy in your heart may be, and this goes to, to anybody watching online, the possibility is you never experienced God's mercy in Christ yourself. The new birth. You have yet to experience the former beatitudes. Poor in spirit. You never experienced that poverty of spirit where your sins crushed you. That you, they were against God and against your fellow man. And you never mourned over your sinful condition and your sins individually. See, Unless you've mourned, if, unless you've seen a sight of your corruption, your total corruption, that there's no need of Christ. There's no need of the new birth. There's a total corruption. But there's also the individual sin. Some people, they feel guilty about one sin or another. They think that's full repentance. It may be in the beginning. I, I, I'm not sure of that, but I, I think... If it is a beginning of salvation, eventually, and very soon after, you're going to know your total corruption. You're going to know you're corrupted in, in every part of your being. And you're going to start seeing sin everywhere in your life. And that'll, that'll bring you to mourn, and that'll make you seek after righteousness. You'll hunger and thirst for righteousness. <clears throat> so I, I want to end... In a, Took you a little longer than I, than I wanted to, but I want to end this with a sober consideration. And to emphasize the seriousness of this aspect of mercy, it's, it, as I studied this in the last few months, it just got larger and larger and larger, the importance of mercy. 
looking at the life of Christ alone, you see mercy everywhere in his life. We come to, to the, towards the end of Matthew. And it says in verse 31 of chapter 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Remember the first, first attitude, the promise of that? Was the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Blessed, come you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Notice all those are works of mercy. You gave, you gave, you took me in. You clothed me. You visited me. You came to me. There's the the legs of mercy. Then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we do this? And he says, well, you did it. When you did it to others, you did it to me. But here's another sober part of that. Then you will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. You did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or stranger, naked, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, As surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's the seriousness of considering mercy. Whether you have it in your life, whether it's in your heart, and put there by the grace of God in the new birth. So don't treat this lightly. Consider these things. Go and learn what this means. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy on us. For we would not be here tonight. We would not be listening tonight if it were not for your mercy. And as some of us have thought about our past, we we think, well, we would have been many places but here, in jail, in the gutter, or dead are in hell. So we thank you, Lord, that you have had mercy on us, for your mercies are everlasting. Great is your faithfulness. And Father, we pray that your mercies will go with us, that mercy and truth would follow us all the days of our life, and that we would dwell in your house, Lord, forever. We pray, Father, that we take these words to heart, and that if there's anyone listening that has not experienced 
the grace of God in their life, that you would have mercy on them, and that they would cry out, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen.